Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Alita Battle Angel? Stay tuned to find out. Jacqueline Coley, I am so excited to talk about the future with you. How are you doing today? Uh, Not thinking about the future, honestly. (laughs) I think that's the mood for 2021 and and basically until it's no longer scary, which I don't know if that's going to be anytime soon, so... Okay, well, I should have been more specific. I don't necessarily want to talk about the real future. I want to talk about the future in movies. Yes. <laughs> because, like, there's some bleak futures in movies, okay? But it's always exciting to be like, oh, I could survive in this world or in this. Like, and I am legend. I'm like, do I want to be all by myself? Sometimes, a lot of the time, as a matter of fact. Do I want to have a loyal dog with me? Yes. You get a treadmill, you sleep in the tub, it's all good. Do I want the zombies? No, but you take the good and you take the bad. Those are the facts of life. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would want either of them, but I will just say both that movie and this one, not kind to dogs. Not I, kind You to know dogs. what? I, th- that is such a great point, and that, that might be my only beef with the movie that we are talking about today, and that is, of course... Alita, Battle Angel from the wonderful year that we all miss so dearly of 2019. Shout out to our fans who recommended us to review and talk about this movie here on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Alex Groover and Jerry Faber were two of our biggest proponents, and they were saying you got to talk about Alita, Battle Angel. The score, Jacqueline, is 61% on the tomato meter, which qualifies as fresh. It's the lower side of fresh but it's still fresh. It's got a 92% audience score, which will get you into an Ivy League school. Maybe not Harvard, but you're definitely seeing the light of day in like a Brown, a Dartmouth situation. So if we are talking about Alita Battle Angel, I I love that you have to do this this week. (laughs) What is this movie about? This is really like, like, we just rotate, but I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm getting the MVP for the season for just attempting this. So... Mm -hmm. Alita Battle Angel is a CGI movie that was directed by Robert <laughs> Rodriguez that stars Rosa Salazar, I'm probably saying that name wrong, Christoph no. Waltz, Mahershala no. Ali, Jennifer Connelly, and a cast of characters and some cameos later on, but we're getting to that in a minute. Anyway, so Christoph Waltz is a doctor 
robot dude. It is in the very, very far future. And this is a dystopian landscape of what used to be Earth. There was a big war, lots of battles, and the only city where people survived is this like heaven city that is above the remnants of what I know now to be Austin, Texas, because I toured Robert Rodriguez's studio where this was filmed. Anyway, he comes across a body when he's out on his sort of like, you know, scavenger hunt. And it turns out this is like very, very advanced technology that has been long forgotten since before the war. And this technology he uses to make a girl. It is his pseudo daughter, and her name is Alita. She is named after his daughter that died. Turns out he is one of the sky people who now lives down here. And he, you know, helps repair all of the various people that live down there because in this new current world, people and robots are like kind of paired together. Everyone's like kind of half robot. You have robot musicians and people and things. Anyway, turns out the girl that he found in the junkyard is actually a murder robot from before the war, she is very advanced and everybody wants to kill her because she's very advanced and they want to steal her technology. He wants to protect her. And so she finds a boy named Hugo. They fall in love until she figures out Hugo's not what he thinks. And all in the background, there's this murder ball. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Which is like cosmic sci-fi game that they play with the robots that everyone becomes. And it turns out the only way to get to the Sky City to be with one of the Sky people is if you become the top champion. This is literally some like be good, get to heaven type nonsense. And there's a lot of <laughs> cast of characters that are fighting against our lead of Battle Angel and that she is trying to be who she is, protect her family and fall in love. And she does this while Mahershala Ali, who runs the murder ball is, you know, trying to steal her heart. And <laughs> that's the movie. Um, and it ends. And we're here still to talk about it. I swear to you, that is the most succinct way to describe what the heck I saw. And I, I know this was not a great synopsis, but the only thing I can say is having seen the film, at least twice-ish, and I'll explain that later, that is the most I understand because I'm still confused about several plot points. You did great, Jacqueline. And I gotta tell you, is that all there is in the movie? <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing else? I mean, that's it? It seems pretty cut and dry. <laughs> you guys saw it? Like, I mean, come on, how do you do this? Like, I mean, you know, like there's just so much crap. You have to spend, the movie spends an hour setting up the world. I, we don't have that kind of time. I could spend an hour just setting up, like, what is this? Basically, just cross Elysium with Thor Ragnarok, like, the the fighting pit scene, and you kind of get this movie. It is basically if those two movies had a baby with less CGI and not as much fun. We're, we're not setting up Grover's Corners for 90 minutes here. We're not setting up a place we know. We're setting up the future. It's the, it's the distant future. You know what? Producer Lucy... I'd like to welcome you to the show because Jacqueline, I'm, I'm telling on Jacqueline now, Jacqueline sort of maybe tried to input her own opinion into the synopsis there towards the end. Do I do that on the show too when it's my turn? Yes, you do. And it's fine. <laughs> and I actually like it. It's a little bit of flavor from both of you. I think it's fabulous. If I could have drawn a straighter line to it, I really would have, Mark. I don't want no, it was to a be good line. doing that, but that is the... Very hard. Very the highlight hard. for me was 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 when you got into Murderball, but that might have been the highlight of the movie for me. If you want to talk about 
sports movies. If you want to talk about sports fans, you know what? If you want to talk about a very special guest who I now consider a returning champion here of the show, he's the owner of the Outlaw Nation outlet. They do a number of podcasts, everything from the world of sports with game time. He has a political show that he has with his co-host, Darina, who we recently had on this program, and he is maybe the most feared man in the history of the movie trivia schmodown. Please welcome back John the Outlaw Roca to the program. Roca, where do no. you stand on Murderball? Who, who's your top five right now going into the season? Uh, uh, Jai Courtney, because we only got him for like two seconds. So he looks Seriously. pretty threatening. He looks Seriously. pretty threatening. Jai came so. in, earned He's... that Tyrese paycheck, and did <laughs> yep. He wasn't even credited in the cast. He's uncredited in the cast. I have to say, Jacqueline, that's maybe the best synopsis I've ever heard for this movie. I think you figured it out. There's not much more in there than what you laid out. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling forces align against me, and so I hesitate to give John the ball first here. But, John, yeah. is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about this score? Remember, 61% on the tomato meter, which is fresh. Yes, so I would say it is wrong. 50% is maybe the highest I would go with this thing. The film at times feels like the trash heap that is, is at the beginning of the movie when she's dropped out of it. That's basically what we get in this movie overall. Visually, one of the most stunning films you're ever going to see, but it is just completely sabotaged by terrible character development, a horrible script, a terrible unobtainium moment. Here, take my heart. And numerous other things that have issue that I've had I have so many issues with in the movie. Okay. Okay. You know what? I agree with you. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because that score is not high enough. This Oof. should be sky high. This should be up there with the sky people is where this movie belongs on the <laughs> tomato meter. 61% is fresh, but it ain't fresh enough. 61% is like you went in the shower and you just barely covered all the really stinky parts. I want to get a bar of zest and I want to cover this thing head to toe in freshness because that is what Alita Battle Angel deserves. Jacqueline, are you with me? I'm with you if you want to cover it in zest, because zest is nasty. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's the zestfully clean. Remember they used to do the towel thing? If you would have went with Irish Spring, I would have given you a little bit of credence, but going with zest, Mark, as far as 90s soap go, this, that's like a step above dial. Are you, are you judging me for buying my soap at Big Lots? Yeah. That's not even Big Lots. That's at the Dollar Tree. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> zest. I'm not getting a good Damn, read off of Jacqueline for, the, for really, this movie. I really hope that we put producer Lucy's camera up for that one because I just gave our <laughs> producer Lucy a spit take with my yep. Dollar Tree poll, but I stand by it. Also, yep. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I'm with I'm with I'm with Roka on this one. Fifties, fifties. It's not horrible, but I was bored. Mm. Okay, I'm interested in that because it doesn't sound like Jacqueline hates this movie as much as Roca does, but y'all's scores are around the same for right now. So before we get into everything that happened on screen with this movie and some very interesting behind-the-scenes tales, I want to open it up to Tim Ryan, our amazing review curation manager, jack-of-all-trades here at Rotten Tomatoes. For the segment called Two Minutes with Tim, where he's going to let us know what critics were saying at the time of the movie's release, which was only a couple of years ago, but it, it, given the state of the world, seems like it was 500 years ago. So, Tim, cue your music. Two minutes 
with Tim. So I feel like if you get your own theme song, you you have to like live up to the lyrics of the theme song. But what if you don't have two minutes of material that's worth talking about? Or like, what if your insight is only like a minute 45 or just a minute? I mean, I probably spent a lot of this two minutes already talking about the implications of the lyrics of the theme song. So perhaps I should talk about Alita Battle Angel. Alita Battle Angel is one of those movies where pretty much everybody agrees on what works and what doesn't work as well. And it seems like just a matter of whether what works outweighs the stuff that works less and well is enough for you. The general consensus was that Alita Battle Angel has incredibly immersive special effects and sort of creates this interesting world, but that the story's pretty thin and the characters are not as well developed in many ways as the effects were. It's fresh at 61% on the tomato meter with 325 reviews, and it has a 92% audience score. So it seems safe to say that some of the quibbles that critics had did not necessarily dissuade the fan base here for this film. So what did some of the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Michael Schragow of Film Comment Magazine wrote, As spectacle, the film is aces. It welds Rodriguez's eccentric touch with action and special effects to Cameron's mastery of world building. On the other hand, in a rotten review, James Vernier of the Boston Herald wrote that the screenplay overflows with underdeveloped characters and plot lines and pushes the CG action, which I found numbing in its monotony and brutality, to the front. So yeah, there's uh, Alita Battle Angel. And um, yeah, I will leave it to Mark and Jacqueline to adjudicate any battles that take place during the discourse around this film on this podcast. I, that's why I love Tim, because he just comes in, he starts some stuff, he uh, he rakes some muck, as they would say in the 1700s, and then he just leaves it to us to sort it all out. I got to tell you, John, you've been mm. on stage telling jokes a few times. I think Tim Ryan has a future in stand-up, because he said, what do you do when you don't know if you have two minutes of material? Yeah. And then he just stalled. He did crowd work, basically, for 30, <laughs> min- for 30 seconds, and that's how you get through the two minutes. So, Tim, my hat's off to you. The Patriot Way is paying off. Very curious to hear what everybody's sort of thesis statement is going to be about the movie itself. But the critics' reaction to this, it was very divided at the time. And I'm glad that Tim highlighted that. So going to get into all that with John and Jacqueline. But that music, the music you just heard. Lucy, do you want to comment on the stinger music that sets up Tim's segment? Because Tim... I can't speak for anybody else on this panel. Tim seemed like a big fan of having his own theme music. Yeah. So um, first off, I loved Jacqueline and John's reaction to that. That was great. <laughs> so I wasn't able to chime in last week, but um, um, I've decided to do little jingles there. And um, I'm sorry that I haven't given you both, you know, your own jingles. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll sing something for you at some point. Wait, 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 wait. You gave us... You want to give us your own jingles. Are you the one performing this music? <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, that's what made me lose it. Because this <laughs> current version, it's quite, it's quite um, come mm-hmm. hither. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, you know. Sensual, as they say. A little sensual. MTV After Dark. Yeah. Hello. Uh, Lucy. Hey. Um, so if you, if you, this is for the audience. Let me know if you want to hear a new one next week or if you liked the notebooks episode from last week or no sorry titanic's episode was that last week yeah um i can either play that one or we can do this one just let me know email us 
I've got a few more up my sleeve if you want to hear those too. So just let me know. Yeah, right. email right. Lucy anytime. The email address is RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com or you can follow Lucy on Instagram because she puts up a lot of her music on there too and it's a delight. Now, if you say that it's got a come hither tone, then it would kind of be like Lucy when she fits into her own exoskeleton robot like what happens with Alita Battle Angel wow. about two thirds of the way into this movie. Wow. And so wow. I think it's about time to kick off our movie talk segment. I love that stinger too because it's like an iverson crossover dribble deep three in your eye john roke i'm gonna give yeah the the floor back to you uh because i want to hear your overall thoughts if uh for lack of a better word your thesis statement in a few sentences or maybe a paragraph knowing how you like to hear yourself talk about (laughs) battle angel what do you got for us why is this movie wrong on the tomato meter why is it way too fresh for your take Yeah, it's way too fresh because I think if you look at all the positive reviews, pretty much everyone says, you know, the character uh, character development is terrible. The the some of the acting is kind of wooden. You're seeing uh, Jennifer Connelly and Christoph Waltz, two incredible actors, sleepwalking through their parts. uh, And uh, but the visuals are uh, save it. It's good enough. If someone says it's good enough in their review, that tells you that compared to other manga to live action adaptations, it really is the best of the worst. And so they're convincing themselves to put it a little bit higher than it needs to be. But this, as Tim just eloquently stated after he got out of his own mind tunnel, uh, it is absolutely a film that is completely betrayed as i said earlier by some terrible character development it wastes an incredible performance from rosa salazar for sure who stands out and people need to be casting her way more way uh, many more projects than they do but some of the lines are just terrible some of the character development really betrays a lot of the relationships that are they're trying to establish plus and listen i know i'm I don't want to be too woke here, but the idea of having a white man program, a black man to do his bidding in 2021 really doesn't work for me on so many levels looking at this thing that a white man can literally enter into people's minds and control them. It's just madness on so many levels. And then you get this idea of these, uh, what somebody has called once before. I want to give credit at some point down the road if I remember, but this uh, uh, born yesterday, uh, born yesterday sexy uh, trope, which is this girl that's created and she's sexualized, but she's so naive. And so she falls in love with the first dude who's kind of a loser. And so she elevates him. uh, And, and then in the end, uh, you know, she is the one that's like, I love you and thanks for saving me and all. Uh, it's just, it's so ridiculous on so many levels that I think it just kind of submerges what could have been an incredible film. Uh, and Robert Rodriguez not really known with building great relationships in his movies. So I would say overall, visually incredible to look at. Great performance for Rosa Zalazar, but too many dings on the script, which matters, ladies and gentlemen. Scripts matter. Uh, to make this film anywhere near fresh, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, Roka giving us a new hashtag, Scripts Matter. I will <laughs> agree with you that it, it was a little uh, off-putting to see a a white guy, Edward Norton, turns out to be sort of controlling Mahershala Ali's character, and it, that doesn't fly for me now, much yeah. less 500 years from now. But overall, <laughs> I love this movie because I love, as y'all who are listeners of this show, 
I love when a movie is able to fully transport me into a different time and place. That's why I was locked into Titanic, because I really felt like I was back in 1912 watching this action happen. And here, I love this vision of the future. It's far enough away in the future because it doesn't make me panic like, oh, no, what are we doing with our world? It's like it's 500 years from now. We'll be fine. I love the opening where it's the 20th Century Fox logo and then it turns into 26th Century Fox logo. And it really gives us this bird's eye view of what has happened to society. But there's still humanity. And I love that we get an element, multiple elements of real human relationships of how what? humans look at the world despite the fact that pretty much everybody has at least like a robotic hand. Wait, why do we have cargo shorts and flip-flops and farmer's markets 500 years into the future, Mark? Why are we still doing this? Are you telling me we didn't have sandals 500 years ago? John, I've seen gladiator movies and they have sandals. So I'm pretty sure some things (laughs) are going to outlast even us, including having a badass guitar player. You think Joe Bonamassa is great with 10 fingers? Look at the robot Joe Bonamassa with 20 (laughs) fingers. It's awesome to look at. And so it juxtaposes a intimidating look at the future and a very scary harbinger of things to come. But we still retain our humanity and our relationship whether that is a romantic relationship, a father-daughter relationship, a a warrior uh, master sort of thing. There's so much to look at from a human element in this movie, even though it's filled with all this robotic eye candy. I I can't agree with you any less uh, for sure, especially when you talk about the father-daughter relationship. When she... Uh, okay, wait, just... wait, wait, wait. Before yeah. I get your father-daughter relationship, okay. I right. want to hear that I won Jacqueline over and no, that Jacqueline fair. now agrees with me. Is that true, Jacqueline? First of all, I will give it up to you, though. You made a great long walk for that transition to get us in here and an even longer <laughs> walk to make this movie sound somewhat thought through, like as if they thought about it. Like, man, you put way more thought into explaining this nonsense than they ever did into making it true. <laughs> Rust. Um, <laughs> let me just say this. I was bored. I was bored. I was just bored. You should not be bored during a murder robot movie. A murder robot movie should not be a ticket to Sleepy Town. And that's exactly what it was. It took me three times to watch this movie. It's a two hour long movie about murder robots. And a good hour of that is just explaining where they are. Why are we here? Why is it Iron City and the sky people. I'm going to keep calling them the sky people because the name that they named for that city is dumber than dirt. Like all of the names for everything wow. in here is dumber than dirt. <laughs> Iron city. Like, come on. So it's just boring and it should not be boring. One thing I will say in this movie's defense is as bored as I was, there were things like when Ed Shrine showed up, I was like interested. Robert Rodriguez knows how to cast like, unassuming Hispanic boys that like will get things going. He, he did it from Desperado. And then he, when he did uh, the movie with Quentin Tarantino, the grindhouse thing, he bought what's his name in that and made people realize for the first time that Freddie from uh, six feet under was really hot. Like seriously, like this is like legit, but I was bored. And I, I just, I, I love Robert Rodriguez. I love everybody that's involved with this. Jennifer Conley, I've loved since Labyrinth, obviously. And I didn't know anything about Rosa before this film, but the girl gives great VO. Christoph Waltz is always dope. 
And so I, I get it. It's just with so many great ingredients. How do you mess this up? And they messed this up. I was bored. I was just bored. And the other thing I will say is speaking of Quentin Tarantino, he recently came out. He's been doing this podcast thing in quarantine where they've been talking about movies. He talked about the Joker. He said that movie was one notey. Very kind review, QT, I will say. But he said the last scene is very riveting, especially if you see it with an audience. And he said anyone who watched the last scene of the Joker at home or in a secondary market, and this was his words, you're getting a hand job when seeing the Joker movie in the theater is a threesome. And as bored as I was with this movie, I know I'm getting the hand job version of it. Like, there's a better movie to be had if I saw it in the theater, which I did not. This was the first time I, I should say, the first three times I attempted to see it was over the past four days. So my thesis is they had good intentions. It doesn't work at home. And what did work only probably works because it's in a theater. So it's meh. All right. Well, this is a a very newly fresh robot and i am a 40 year old guy so i'm not going to say i'll take the hand job or the threesome Mm. in this scenario i am simply going to move on and restate (laughs) the fact that i had so much fun with this movie there's so many scenes to talk about that that, that, i mean you talk about falling asleep there's so many scenes that just really got my blood going my adrenaline was flowing during the fight scenes and i did feel emotional ties to multiple characters in between those epic battles so let's kick off some of this scene talk but john i mean Mm. is is there what is I, i guess the scene that really points to towards your frustration with this movie, that's the tone I'm getting from you is that you just seemed unsatisfied. Yeah, look, and listen, I should preface, I should have prefaced this before. As a Latino, I have nothing but support for Robert Rodriguez and what he's doing. That book he wrote was uh, back in the 90s detailing his journey as a filmmaker. Yeah. It, Rebel Without a Pause, that is one of the, uh, well, sorry, that is one of the greatest uh, 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 books you're ever going to read about filmmaking from the ground up. Uh, and I love Rosa Salazar, and I agree with you, Jacqueline, what he's able to do, Robert does, with Latinx people, bringing them to the forefront, all that, giving them a platform to be showcased here is great. That being said, uh, this uh, the scene that really drives me out of my mind uh, is the scene where she discovers uh, that her parts uh, are from his dead daughter. And then we hear the story that some crazed guy rummed in there, broke everything, and then uselessly and needlessly killed his beautiful, crippled, young white daughter for no reason at all. And that is the reason why he now has to troll the knights and take out his vengeance on these robots. And then also his wife couldn't deal with it, so she turned evil. Instead of, why is it the dude can deal with it, but the woman has to flip out and go evil. This is Gotham level type of story writing. And then to top it all off, they take the vertigo moment, which is her discovering that the parts are uh, from his daughter and that he named her after his daughter. And she's like, oh, that's great. That's so cool that you built me into a facsimile of your dead daughter so you can work out your own issues with me. It's just ridiculous on so many levels, the story writing. And it has 
a predominantly male point of view and the way they treat their female characters when you see films like this it comes through when you're watching these moments i know a lot of people feel it's an empowering film for women and i respect that because rosa salazar does an incredible job despite some of those other things to show you a very strong uh independent woman but that being said i do think the the uh the film undercuts her at every level when they're trying to develop this and all the women as well, especially Jennifer Connelly's turn. All of a sudden, Jennifer Connelly right at the end. You know what? I saw these two people come together. You know, forget all the crap I was doing before. I want out. It's just like it does. does. There's no earned emotional moments at all. And the emotional moments that are there are kind of creepy. This was your daughter. You built this body for her. Her name was Alita. She was really looking forward to waking up with legs that could run. You built her a pair of fast legs. She never got to use them. She was murdered. If this dude needs to go to therapy, I, I don't think it's necessarily just to get over the fact that he lost someone that he loved. I think it's more that... He's not just going out being like Batman trying to avenge his daughter's death to me anyway. I, I read his character more as somebody who has this hero complex because he couldn't save his daughter. So now he's just welcoming in anybody who comes in off the street and for free or for very little money or anything is going to help fix them up. He's like, hey, you need an arm? Come on, see the doc. I'll help you out. And so I think that he wanted to make his world better and he embraced being down below as opposed to being one of the sky people but the, the, and this is where you run into the problem when if for anybody who's read the original manga that's based on gunham and and, and what they you know off the offshoot they created with alita battle angel off of that and you hear the story of this there is a way better more complex more interesting more challenging movie to be made here because alita is pretty ruthless i mean blood soaked ruthless in if you read the comics and the doctor here he hunts for the thrill of the hunt. He does not hunt to save his daughter or to be the... So these are confusing uh, uh, and challenging, complex relationships that they could have explored. And they dumped it down. They dumped it down to make it as simple as possible, which of course takes away the spirit of why the anime resonates with so many people who discovered it in its original form. Why the manga, sorry, uh, resonates with so many people who discovered its original form. And these are the problems within the movie. Everything is so simple. For example, Mark, why is his daughter crippled? Do we even know why his daughter is parable? We have no idea why this happens. Just to make it seem, here, let's, make, let's take the easy route to give some sympathy to the doctor by... A, have him having a young daughter, and then let's make her crippled. It, it's more the issue that they, they just made it like like bad versus good as opposed yes. to something like a little darker, like what you get with with the tortured soul of, of a Bruce Wayne slash yeah. Batman. But regardless of what you think about Batman and, and being the vengeance of the night or just somebody as goody two-shoes as Superman, one of the reasons we flock to those movies, let's face it, is because they have some kick-ass action sequences. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I don't encourage texting during movies. Whether you're in a movie theater or during home, I had to text Jacqueline after the first battle scene where Alita sort of discovers her powers. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I am so locked into this movie. And Jacqueline, I know you like that scene. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I can't <laughs> no, even I sell you. I'm joking. On... I'm joking. I'm joking. Actually, you know what? I was going to say, like I got receipts scene. in my phone. I know. Phone. You do, I do like that scene. <laughs> it is very well done. But I just, you again, you when you push up that much air into it, it's my natural inclination to be like, no. No. No, but no, that is literally when she is kicking butt, that is when the movie hits its best thing. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what this movie needed to be more. Um, and, and this was the thing I was sort of struck with last night was the fact that we had an opportunity to sort of have this sort of like, I think, more interesting tank girl, barbed wire, really playing into this dystopian, high tech sort of version of the future. There was an opportunity to do that, but they got so bogged down with this message of empowerment, which don't get me wrong, I love it when the material matches the moment. The material does not match the moment. You have somebody basically finger painting, trying to tell me that it has this huge amount of symbolism. And again, it's not the visuals that are the problem, it's the, it's the script. Um, the one thing I will say about Avatar, it keeps its notes simple. And as this was, you know, a James Cameron produced movie and has a lot of the same, I would say, problems and elements. The thing that James Cameron stuck better is he put just enough emotion that was on surface enough level that people could grasp into. Don't destroy the earth. Be nice to earth. Don't be a capitalist. These are all things that are very easy to sort of gleam. This whole idea of well, I need to find who I am in a journey of self-discovery on top of all of this like, you know, dystopian version of who we are and what we can be. It's too much. It's too and much. It's, the, the, the savior thing that they use, the savior trope is always very tricky to pull off well in movies. And it's utilized in Avatar, John, I, I think better than it is here because I'm looking at the savior angle here uh not not with the good team but i'm looking at it as edward norton is is kind of implanting all of his messages through this body of mahersha ali and so it's another thing that i hate to agree with you on with this movie but i mean you're talking about a two-time oscar winner in mahersha yeah. ali and to find out that he was just really there to look intimidating. Right. And that's it. It's like a really scary mannequin is all that payoff is because as we find out at the end of the movie, Edward Norton is up in the sky and he is just using Mahershala Lee on the ground in Iron City to relay his messaging, which is why Mahershala has so much respect and nobody ever dares confront him. I didn't like that payoff as much. I, I like that there's a big baddie that's up in the sky that we got to go fight. And and I was pumped up at the end of the movie because it leaves us with Alita has the full support of everybody below as she now is going to be promoted up to the sky people. But the way that it was executed, and I, I almost would have rather had a role reversal. I would have had Ed Norton on the ground. Yeah. I would have had Mahershala up top. Yeah, I would have liked to see that too as well. And this is once again, that character of Vector that Mahershala Ali plays, there's no depth to him. They rely on the jacket and the sunglasses and Mahershala Ali's natural charisma and talent to play a badass human being to be to do all the work of character development. And that's what's frustrating here. You have no idea why they got together. You have no idea why he's being controlled by uh, Nova to do the things that he's doing overall. And he's just being used. And then his death means nothing. Because in essence, if he's being controlled by Nova, 
then he's one of these people that should actually be saved, not killed by Ro- by uh, by Alita. So when Alita kills him, she says, I just killed another one of your puppets. And it's just, there's not that same kind of thing uh, or not same kind of payoff, like you said, that you should have had. And I imagine they cast Ed Norton because they thought, hey, look, come in for a couple of days, get a little, get a little bucks. And if this is a sequel, you will be the big baddie in the sequel and she'll get up there and then we'll see what that city is like but you go back to the premise of this whole thing why if this homie is so aware of everything and like god as jacqueline said he's god up there saying you know and the, the the pretty people up there he's the one sky people he's the one that is in control of everything and he even says before he dies remember i see everything well how did you not see Alita falling through the trash heap onto the like. Why did you not see the danger of Alita going down there, especially when Actually, you knew Ida was rummaging think... through the garbage? Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time! So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Don't you think that's going to come out in the sequel of, like, he sent her down here? Like, again, this thing is so predictable. Yeah, probably. It's so predictable. That's what rich people do, whether it's in the past (laughs) or the future or now. As we know from the Oscar winning hard target, loosely based on Rudyard Kipling's The Most Dangerous Game, it's that rich people love the sports of hunting and killing. And so if you have a 401k, you might be a secret hunter. Mm -hmm. And and I think that maybe that comes out in the sequel that if we get a sequel, hopefully we do. Hulu, come through for me. Is that Edward Norton prompted that down. He knew exactly where Kristoff was kind of searching through the trash at the beginning of the movie. He finds this body and Ed Norton's like, oh, this is everything is playing out as I have foreseen. I don't know if that's what the payoff is. I don't care at this point yeah. because this movie feels to me like a complete film. Whereas the end of the first Maze Runner movie, I it, it, that movie leaves you off clearly setting itself up for a sequel. And you're like, wait, we just went through that so you could sell us another movie. I didn't get that feeling at the end of this. Why? Really? That was exactly because, the feeling I got. Yeah. Because agreed. there is because there is a triumph and and it's one of the scenes that I love. Any scene with I call it murder ball. It's actually motor ball, but I even watching the movie, I thought they were saying murder ball. So it's motor ball. And when they're planted in the street at the beginning, it looked to me like a white trash version of Quidditch, but then it becomes this whole roller derby futuristic sport that is so much fun to look at and to witness and the fact that the champion 
of motorball gets to go up to the sky people and compete as the champion. That to me felt a lot like what I saw from the NBA bubble last year in the playoffs and the WNBA, where you're taking your platform as a Supreme athlete to make social change. That is what Alita is doing by being the champion of motorball and going up to the sky people to take on the leader of the bad people. She is putting all of us on her back and saying, I'm going to carry you through to a better world. Oh, and by the way, the scenes of motorball are so awesome from a technical special effects. I give standpoint. you that. The yeah. murder ball scenes are great, but so is the weird football scene in Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. That does not make a movie. It is not a movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what oh, it felt Starship like. I was like, somebody say Queen <sighs> Six, like slip through, like Rico and shh. <laughs> Listen, there's so many. I love Mark that you you were contortionist in a previous life or something because you were twisting yourself into <laughs> knot to give this movie depth and pathos and a sense of humidity, like of of humanity and authenticity to it. It's it's not. It's not supposed to be it's supposed to be a murder robot movie. Make it a murder robot movie. It's okay if she has boobs. It's fine, but make it that. Don't do this. And there's so many questions for, like you said, why is Mahershala there? Why has that dude been able to look through his eyes? Wait, why were there like, like obviously we find out towards the end that Alita was part of these people that were trying to invade the sky people. What's that whole storyline? Also, there's so many things. At the very end, Jennifer Connelly, another example of the short shrift, she helps out Alita. She helps her save her dude who again dies three times in this movie i might add like that dude was such a macguffin of death i was like just kill him already by the time he died for real i was actually about it i was like this dude has been dead or perceived dead three times i don't i don't think he's dead yet i think we get a sequel i think he's like kenny i I think we get we we just get to keep killing him in in the sequel too I but wait a minute, what about action. Connolly? What what was up with the thing? At the very end, when Mahershala Ali, like, this is the other thing, is like, this is like Sausage Party, where they all think that getting bought is them going to heaven, but actually it's them getting eaten. <laughs> Jennifer Connolly finds out at the end of this that, yeah. well, yeah, she's going to get to go to the sky, people, but it's only going to be his hands, heart, brains, and an eye. Be- and they put her in the thing. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Why is that a thing? How is that a thing? And so I'm still confused. At the end of this movie, Alita is about to become the champion. And it has been said that the only way to get to heaven actually is to be the top champion. How do we know? Like, that's the other thing. It really kind of ruins the end moment because you think she's about to, like, be the girl. And you have people cheering her like the Hulk and Thor Ragnarok. Yes, this movie is just a Frankenstein version of other movies. Thor Ragnarok, some Elysium, throw some sausage party in there. It is... The best, it is the worst parts of movies that didn't even have better intentions. And the fact that you want to give it some kind of like depth. There is no depth. It's a murder robot movie. The visuals are pretty. I'm sure I would have enjoyed the hell out of it in IMAX. Absent that, I'm like, this was shot on a soundstage. And you can clearly tell. And it everyone sounds to was me here just to kick like- it. Like, like, if I'm a contortionist, and, and yes, I, I, I can contort myself into at least rooting for a movie. I'm not going to force myself to like something that I don't, but I can, I can come in with the, with the hope that a movie is going to be good. But it seems to me like the expectation thing goes both ways, John and Jacqueline. 
that y'all came in hoping for an exact translation of the manga, which is a murder robot story, and they injected humanity in it, and you said, whoa, we didn't come here for humanity. I came here for the dish that (laughs) Robert Rodriguez, produced by James Cameron, and his script were were serving, and and, and I got filled up. All right. I take your point, because I do bristle at people who say, this isn't what I wanted the movie to be. I get that criticism. Thank you. However, I would absolutely push back on this idea that there's no humanity in the manga. There is absolute humanity I in the manga. I haven't read it. That's the, the, that, that's you the said perspective that they I'm getting injected from you. humanity. And I'm telling you, the humanity was already there in the original source. The humanity, though, that they inject here is cheesy in lifetime level, while as the humanity in the manga and the anime is about the randomness of love and life. And that's what it's about. Plus, I mean, you're not really going to I haven't even convey... seen the manga. I just thought I go. was getting a murder robot movie because I watched the trailer. That's what it was right. advertised to be. Yeah, if you read okay, well, the, if Yeah, yeah. I, everybody listening to this show for any period of time knows I did not read anything. but <laughs> or, or even look at pictures that are talking. So I I, I don't know what humanity is, is layered in there. But yeah. you, you take a scene like... The the Christoph Waltz and and how he builds Alita sort of in the image of his daughter, at least his idealization mm-hmm. of his, of who his daughter could have been, and the dad teenage daughter thing worked for me. But she's because... not a teenager; she's three hundred years old. Mark. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, Baby Yoda's fifty, and we still call him a child. Like wow. it's it it just it, it it felt grounded in reality whether it's the 1500s or the 2000s or the 2500s that a, a a father is going to be shepherding a daughter for a period of time and then eventually they have to go out in the world and you give them the warnings hey try to stay away from motorball that's the sky people we live down here don't worry about getting up there just have a nice life down here and best of luck and to see him struggle with that it's like that you know foundation for a better life commercial where the the, the girl's going off to college and she stops the car and runs back to hug her dad one more time that i felt that i felt that wow all right man mark (laughs) you have a long lost profession as a lifetime movie podcaster because wow that was a shot it's not a shot it's the truth that is some schmaltz you know what i thought she was gonna say i thought she said two turtle doves knowledgeably that's what she said i thought jacqueline was going to say mark you have a long lost profession as a father and i was like well i'm out i'm out (laughs) well but at least in those movies the Com- the companions are comparable in terms of quality and intelligence and knowledge. But in this movie, Lolita is so far ahead of Hugo, it's insulting. And it's this trope that we see multiple times in science fiction. And to be fair, and I probably will get pilloried for this, but in the manga and anime stuff, you see this ordinary dudes discover the young, uh, just built or just created uh, beautiful female sexualized character. And because he's the first dude she comes across, she falls in love with him. He guides her through the world and she never moves past him, which is why I think her is such a great film because she moves past him. She moves moves past Joaquin. She moves out into a bigger world and Alita never does. Alita's still tied to this dude. In fact, to the point where she tries to give this ordinary dude her literally her heart. That's the unobtainium moment of the movie. Let me put it on the nose what I'm doing. And then with all her talent, she's like, let me go hunting so I could get you those $90,000 so you can get to the sky. And it's like, 
That's even this dude is like, when you stop doing nice things for everybody, for God's sake, you're going to get abused. So it's this kind of thing that uh, that just drives me nuts. She's so far ahead of him. It's the Aquaman issue. She's so far smarter and more talented and more able to do everything, but she's got to elevate this dude. And it drives dude, me all, nuts. As all I'm of DC. You don't I see mean, that look, Hallmark Steve movies. Trevor was not a slouch, but compared right. to an Amazon, dude was like, like no, no. Dude was... But, like that dude on Tinder that you're like, oh, he's cute, but he hasn't had a job in four years. That's basically Steve Trevor. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, Hugo is adding the one component that I don't care how tough of a murder robot you are that you can't forge in fire. And that is <laughs> humanness, passion, emotion. John, I'm going to yeah. chalk that up as your final thought. We all get that you don't think this movie's fresh. Jacqueline, <laughs> do you have a quick final thought before we move on that's going to My quick final thought further? to is I'm glad you brought up that he the only thing he has because I was also loving this movie for the fact that they had to give him a robot body at some point because <laughs> the minute they kissed, I was thinking of the logistics of this. I was like, this is not, no, no. So yeah, I'm glad they made him into a head robot, hard body as they like to say, as the kids say in the movie. Also, I just love that this movie also, on top of the trope, like you said, born yesterday, falls in love with the first dude that he sees, Wonder Woman, all of that, has all of that. It also goes with the great science fiction trope of women are dangerous the minute they have boobs. Yeah. Because that's the entire thing. There's a movie called Wildling that does that. There's all of these like coming of age stories of like basically when you come of age, that's when you go murder people. And I love that it falls <laughs> into that trope too. Movie's pretty. Mm. has some good acting in it come on i i, I think the, the the technical revolution that this movie has within it is something that i'll at least say for for my final thought right now about the movie itself is that you could have been taken out of this movie very early if her big eyes didn't look realistic enough or if any of this robot armor i mean there's so much cgi in this movie and a lot of it to me felt very smooth and it didn't it not only did it not interrupt my enjoyment of the story it enhanced it and i felt like a lot of it was very realistic so the technical achievement the visual effects artists that worked on this should be applauded for what they were able to pull off for two hours it didn't and then even I'll make it past this. the oscar shortlist dude if if you are dating a robot in this day and age. John, I think you can speak to this. Your yes. boys are probably going to razz you a little bit. And they razz Hugo for a second. They're like, ah, oh, you're in love with that robot? But I'm glad that we accept more humans dating robots in 500 years from now than we do. Because they're coming, folks, okay? Yeah. The robots, yeah. The robots are on the way, and we're all going to have to rectify with, can that be my significant other? I am not ready to say yes until I meet one in person, but at least for you know, all circumstances, this female companion could be a bodyguard, if nothing else. Like, you talk about having a dog that'll bark at a stranger breaking in. If you are sleeping with a murder robot, you got nothing to worry about for the rest of your days. So at least we have that. Um, Last point, real quick. It's always weird to see eyes and brains and a hand in a case. I, it, it's a big reveal in this movie. And I know that you may think that whoever your peak of human beauty is, they all are so weird looking underneath all that skin. It's just <laughs> eyes and it's brains and it's weird. And I don't know how humans do it. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep pretending that stuff isn't under the skin. But it's there, folks. It's there and it looks weird. But it still didn't take me out of this movie. Okay. I 
Uh, well, can I clarify that real quick? That is from the manga and anime, Jacqueline. That's why it's in there. And yet another reason, it's completely unearned, and they just wanted to give a big wink to the people who know the source material, but it doesn't work at all. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nah, that's I just, fair. I was, so it was, was really, fan service. Yes, it was fan service. You know, originally the word fan service actually meant sex because they wanted to put sex in non-sexual manga. And so when they did that, they called it fan service. Nice. Not kidding. Okay. That's the origin um, of that word. Then it. that's a fair origin because sex and being happy at movies are two things that I enjoy. As a fan, I enjoy being served <laughs> in the same way that when I'm dying at a fine establishment, like at TGI Fridays, I enjoy being served. I don't want to go make the food. I don't want to go pour the iced tea. I'd like it to be served to me. And that's why I paid money for a ticket. And I get served, and I feel happy. Mark has been served, <laughs> even though he's probably losing this argument right now. So that means it is time to talk about the behind-the-scenes industry of Alita Battle Angel. Lots to unpack here, too, because this movie, fun fact, was originally going to be directed by none other than... He's got such an imagination, and that imagination costs a lot of bucks. Guillermo del Toro, around the year 2000, was going to be directing this, and then his schedule got a little tied up. James Cameron and him were working together on it, so then James Cameron's like, you don't want it? I'll take the, the motorball from you, and I'll run with it. But then he fell in love with, A, going underwater to look at the Titanic, and then Avatar, and so he had a treatment, and he had a full script that then he collabed and sort of handed it off to Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez was quoted as saying that uh, you never rewrite James Cameron, but he pared it down to a palatable 128 pages, is I believe what the final script was. So that's about a two-hour movie, which is what we got. And so, Jacqueline, John, Robert Rodriguez helming this movie feels like the right pick to me anyway. Even above James Cameron or Guillermo del Toro, who are two directors whose work I greatly admire, I've been a fan of Robert Rodriguez since I was blown away in the theater as a, what, 13-year-old watching Desperado. My mom paid for the ticket. And I was like, this guy does action so well, and this guy, he made me feel a little humanity there, made me feel a lot more here. I think he checked off all the boxes here. Was Robert Rodriguez the right choice for y'all for this movie? Uh, I'll let Roca start with yeah? this one. All right. Here's what I'll say. I, I, I echo your sentiments about Rog Rodriguez. As someone who rented El Mariachi on a VHS tape, that's how old or how far back I go. I've gone to support just about everything he's done, but he does stumble. And he has these films. You're like, what is happening here? Why aren't you developing the characters a bit more? And that's where I think we did get a Robert Rodriguez film. Visually fantastic action scene. So well done. Remember, he directed an episode of The Mandalorian this past season, the Groku episode, where he's communicating with the Jedi. That was Robert Rodriguez. And he stepped in at the last minute and did that one. And what is that What is that uh, episode deliver? Great action uh, and, uh, and nice reveals of Boba Fett. But not too much of the character development. Just enough to get you to the next episode but a really well done thing so that's what you get Robert I think and this is ironic and I don't know if we're going to get to it in the research I think Tim Miller would have been a way better choice for this situation I know James hated working with <laughs> yeah, him on Dark Fate but He's maybe work with James may, Cameron yeah but maybe more people should be telling James Cameron what's what so they can create a better film because Terminator Dark Fate was fantastic and people also Latino leads in that film people bash that film and that film was the best thing since Terminator 2 in that series and so I think sometimes maybe you got to stand up to the great auteur that 
that is James Cameron and tell him what's what and push back on him because he's in his 60s, isn't he? So like you got to get younger voices to really convey what's happening here and make it more relatable for people. And uh, I think uh, though Rodriguez was a great choice for the action scene overall, I think he was the wrong choice for this movie. I would have rather have seen someone like Tim Miller or even Lee Whannell who with Upgrade and Invisible Man, who did a fantastic job of that, take the reins of this, would have been stellar. I don't agree with your director choices, uh, but I, I mm. do agree with your point about Cameron, where eventually you do need to reel any directors in, or else it's just going to be James Cameron and George Lucas sitting around Skywalker Ranch complaining about movies and how they're not made as good as the ones we made. Right. Lucy, can we put a note that we should definitely do Terminator Dark Fate? Because I haven't seen it, and oh. I need to get motivated to see it. So, so good. let's... Put a pin in Dark Fate. I'm Mark. I'm a fan of the show. I'm writing in, hey, have Mark and Jacqueline talk about Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> Jacqueline Coley, where, James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez, Guillermo del Toro, where does your interest drift to when we talk about the industry and the making of Alita Battle Angel? Well, look, um, the path to hell is always paved with the best intentions. And with this one, the fatal flaw was that Robert Rodriguez idolized James Cameron too much mm. to touch his script because he should have not saying that Robert mm. Rodriguez is some wordsmith here, but neither is James Cameron. This is not Aaron Sorkin. Why was he so in love with the James Cameron script that he couldn't change it? And that to me is just fanboy BS. And it could have been done better. It could have been done better. And, and I don't know enough about manga or anime to really say, but from what I do know from the successful ones that have happened of recent note, a lot of them make adjustments because mangas especially are very long running. There's a lot to pare down. And I don't know the original one that it was based off of, but I do know that, um, I don't know the original manga that it was based off, but I do know that the adaptation that Lyman did for Edge of Tomorrow was a pretty big departure from the source material, but it still made a really compelling story. And I wish somebody could have approached it with that level of, like, look, I'm just going to make a compelling story and less be worried about trying to please fans of this and and also, in a certain respect, please the guy who gave me the duty. So in a, right, in a way, I think he was the right director, but he was getting the handoff from the wrong director. He needed to be getting the handoff from somebody who he saw as his equal, not somebody who he idolized. Do you think that we have to have the James Cameron level name to sell a property like this where, where I know is a popular manga, but it, it wasn't like a built in film franchise in the same way that Cameron was able to pioneer Avatar, which none of us had ever heard of. And it became the highest grossing film of all time. Y you tend to get trapped in these things in the modern era where if it's not something that is the MCU or it's not uh, something that we have known for generations, like like a Star Wars, that we, we just allow it to pass by. And I wonder if some of that got into Elite Battle Angel, where moviegoers look at, okay, well, I, I always go back to me as a kid in the summer, like, I'm going to mow X amount of lawns, I mean, I'm going to have X amount of dollars to spend at the movies, what are the three movies I'm going to go pay to see? Is that what befell Elite Battle Angel? Is it Because it did, it, it made $33 million, I think, it's opening weekend domestically. Is that... Just because enough people weren't familiar with either the lead, who's great, Rosa Salazar, the property, what was the issue with this movie? Or was it really, in y'all's opinion, just because it didn't cut the mustard with all layers of the movie? I think with films like this, word of mouth is so essential. It's so essential to give it legs, so essential to get 
people in it to watch it. And I would say the trailers didn't really do a great job of selling it that well. I think people understood what kind of film they were walking into. And we see all that. How many people knew about Guardians of the Galaxy before they went to see it? And this was not, and I mean that, this was not like Marvel as Marvel is now. That was still Marvel kind of building out what they were doing. So you can't compare to where, if you drop a Marvel movie now, it's guaranteed to make a certain amount of money. They were still building that thing. So to me, it's all about how you present the material and who's involved in the material and yes james if james cameron had directed this thing this probably would have made 200 100 million dollars opening weekend no doubt but rob rodriguez is not a name that puts butts in a lot of seats anymore and having him attached even with the james cameron name and kind of the clunky look of the trailers overall didn't really sell people on the product and maybe even the source material fans saw no Asian influence on this thing and we're like I'm not going to go patronize it because they're not going to they're not really going to uh, honor the spirit of the original uh, source material as well. So I think it was a combination of a lot of factors plus it was up against some great movies or some tough movies to go up against some blockbusters as well that kind of uh, undercut it. Captain Marvel eventually ended up coming out and yeah. um and, and I hate when movies are compared because oh well that's a female lead and that's a female lead it, it's well no we're we're talking we're not just talking about gender here we're talking about something much greater Jacqueline I I, I got to think you were rooting for this movie though because it is made pretty much and based uh the, the production was around your hometown of Austin Texas which by the way we sent all of our love to everybody in Austin and in Texas who's going through some really, really tough weather right now. Stay strong and stay together and email us and let us know how you're doing. Yeah, big, big uh, love to the heart of Texas right now, which is definitely getting ripped. Um, yeah, no, by and large, I should love it. I should, based on where it was filmed and who was involved in it. Honestly, I think one of the reasons why they were able to get so many great actors to come and take part in this thing uh was because they get to go to austin and you know part of the pitch of coming to this is like hey it's a digital movie it's filmed on robert's at robert's ranch which is basically his house and there's queso like i get it that gets mahershala to sign up it gets me to sign up <laughs> but it doesn't make like like just because you came down to have fun with your friends does not mean that it's gonna be something good. There are countless examples of movies that were complete nightmares to film that became box office juggernaut Oscar winners, Mad Max Fury Road. And there's countless examples of movies where everybody has nothing but nice things to say about the movie and it's a complete dumpster fire. Alita. <laughs> that is but they had a good time they had a good time i know robert made them tacos or puerco pibil or whatever he wanted to do and he probably sat them down for a 10 minute film school it was great it was well it was rebel without a crew on a lot that's really his house it's still a movie that bored me to tears that is the cardinal sin of a movie it is entertainment you were supposed to captivate me for an hour and even if that captivation is rage I will take that. And Roka, I will just say this as the man yeah. who's here when we discussed um, The Greatest Showman. If you ask me right now which one I would want to watch, I'll take uh -oh. The Greatest Showman because oh. at oh. least it's got songs in there yes. that I would bop with. Oh, and success. I hate that movie. But this <laughs> oh. is the thing. It's sort of like it's sort of like Hamilton with Jefferson versus Burr. I don't even know what Alita Battle Angel stands for. At least Greatest Showman has an ethos. I may not enjoy that ethos, but it's there, it's loud, it's proud, it's saying what it means, even if what it means is stupid, 
It is saying it with conviction. How this movie it? doesn't know what it is, what it wants to be, and I was just bored to tears. That is a lance through my heart. <laughs> if if y'all enjoy this show, then have fun with Jacqueline and Roka next week while I'm in my garage building a robot <laughs> because that is my true passion now after watching Alita Battle Angel. I'll close out the segment by simply saying this. You go to Austin, some of the best brisket in the world. That would have sold me. You can you can have the case. You can have everything else. The brisket in Austin, whoo, that is some tasty stuff. And I'll also say that I'm glad that we got Robert Rodriguez directing this, and I'm thrilled it was in the year 2019. I love Del Toro. This movie would have cost a billion dollars to make in the year 2000, and I don't know that it would have looked well. I, I don't know that you could have pulled off all of the effects wizardry that we got to see, so I think you had a, the right producer. I think he wrote a cool script. I think Rodriguez handled it brilliantly, and the eye, as always, holds the beauty of the beholder's opinion. So we love hearing from y'all. And you can let us know what you think about either the industry, the behind the scenes of it all, the movie scenes, anytime at RT is wrong, as we are about to go to our email segment. Oh, we get music for this too. It's time for fan mail. I love that because it's sort of like you're, you're skating on thin ice. It's like Benny Hill music. We don't know what the fans are going to be writing us, but we're about to find out right now. And then afterwards, we're going to say goodbye, but not before we have a quick movie trivia question that I have curated for, yes, you, John, oh, and no. you, Jacqueline. So get that Outlaw Cowboy hat on. Yikes. You can email us anytime, rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. We love hearing from you. And here is our letter today. Jacqueline, Lucy, and Mark, we would love to hear what your thoughts on Hook are, as my wife and I firmly believe RT is wrong about this movie. We're wondering if maybe our love is due to watching it through rose-colored glasses. Is this movie really a bloated misfire that gives into Spielberg's sentimental vibes or a fun, whimsical update to the Peter Pan story with a wickedly fun Dustin Hoffman performance? Our family loves listening to you break down the movies and hope this particular film can be featured in a future episode. Thanks for always bringing fun insight to the critical side of movie watching, and we look forward to many more episodes to come. Kind regards, the Brene Bunch, and shout out to Kevin, April, Elijah, and Jonah. Hook, what do we say? I have some thoughts on that movie. I remember being very turned off as a kid, but I caught it in the green room of the Syracuse Funny Bone in between the early and the late show a couple of years ago, and I watched maybe 35 minutes of it. And I was wrapped up in a world of imagination, so I have no idea how the hell I feel about Hook currently. Jacqueline, John, y'all got a quick take on Hook? <laughs> I'm about Hook for a lot of reasons, but most importantly because it has the greatest Glenn Close performance in the history of cinema. <laughs> Folks that don't know, Glenn Close has a beard on in that movie, and she's the man that gets put in the boo box. Boo. Oh my gosh. Yep. I That's kinda... Glenn Close. And For that starting, reason alone, that movie is amazing. Indeed. I just watch her scene. I'm like, that's John, a woman? John, yeah. I feel like the Glenn Close in Hook is sort of like Alita when she's distantly remembering some memory of her being a warrior mm -hmm. but can't quite conjure it. Are you a Hook man or not? Uh, bloated misfire. I agree with it completely with a fantastic performance and a wasted performance of Dustin Hoffman as an aging Hook. Quietly, subtly delivering a comment about men trying to hold on to their past instead of accepting getting older. It's a, that I loved what they did with his character, but overall I thought the film was just not that good. And I can't wait till we're in a nursing home together and you're telling me more Syracuse uh, laugh bone or funny bone stories uh, in our 80s. I can't wait. 
It's in one of the biggest malls in America, and right across from the Funny Bone in Syracuse is one of the biggest go-kart tracks indoor I've ever seen. And so in between shows, you're either watching Hook or you go drive go-karts. Kids, go-karts are very hard to operate anyway. Do not have any alcoholic beverages before you attempt it. Trust your Uncle Mark on this one. So we'll talk to Lucy and see if we can get Hook on the schedule. That'd be a lot of fun. What do you think, Lucy? Am I getting the thumbs up for Hook? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's on there. This year, 2021, let's do it. Let's All do it, right. Brene, the Brene family. Brene Bunch is in luck. And once again, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. So it's time to close up shop here. And the man who I am thrilled to give a trivia question, which I'm not sure he's going to get the answer to. Ooh, I don't know. Damn. Is John Roca, our special guest. John, mm -hmm. first of all, can anybody tell me Bob Hoskins' name in Hook? Smee. Smee. That yeah. is correct. And that's a question that I missed back when I was competing in the Schmodown light years ago. But I still love Bob Hoskins. I still love Roger. Okay. Here is your trivia question for Alita Battle Angel. Jacqueline, John, oh. Lucy can all give a wager. Robert Rodriguez is the director. And he made El Mariachi for a bloated budget of $7,000. Jeez, that's not even enough to feed the dog for a week. Seven grand made El Mariachi, yet it yielded him his highest score on the tomato meter at 93%, tied with what other Robert Rodriguez-directed movie? Okay, Jacqueline's got a guess. Hold on. I think hmm. it's Spy Kids. Jacqueline goes Spy Kids. John Roca? Uh, Sin City? John's going Sin City. Lucy, do you have a guess? I'm just going to go with it and say Desperado. No. I love Desperado. It is fresh in the tomato meter. I think it's low 60s. Jacqueline Coley nice. wins the belt because it is the inaugural Spy Kids at 93%. I've never seen any of the Spy Kids movies. Well, they're awesome, actually. But also, All right. I want to oh. add that uh -oh. it is uh -oh. hard. She's getting memorabilia, John. Uh -oh. <laughs> Ooh, is it a Shark Boy? <laughs> no, but I have Robert's book oh, yeah. behind me. Is. Uh, it right. was actually one of the very first movie making books I ever bought was Rebel Without a Crew, which was so battered by the time I moved here, I actually had to buy a second copy because the copy I had was just like ugly and I couldn't display it. So yeah, I have been reading up on, on Mr. Rodriguez for a while. So I would have been very disappointed. I also can tell you, does anybody know how he earned the $7,000 that he used to make El Mariachi? Um, building robots. <laughs> Roca? No. He sold his body to for experiments in Austin at this place called PPE, which is like you test like flu and like dangle virus things. And like so basically you become a guinea pig and you like stay in this place for a month when they push you through with drugs that are being tested. And they usually did it on UT kids. And so that's how he afforded to do it is he did like three months of donating his body for medical experience. Wow. And and that's the thing down in Austin. So maybe that's why Kevin Durant grew to seven feet tall, but he still has <laughs> that incredible handle and that long range from his nice. freshman year at the University of Texas. Well, John Roca, you do all things online. You will talk sports. You'll talk politics. You'll, of course, talk film. Where can all the kids find you? What are you working on right now? Well, first of all, thank you all so much for having me. It was great to come back and it was great to talk about this movie. Uh, you can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram and my YouTube channel, the, the Outlaw Nation Outlets, youtube.com slash John Roca Says. As Mark said, 
politics, sports, but film, entertainment, TV shows, the Geek Buddies. We've been doing these great WandaVision reviews where we are getting bone deep on uh, these uh, on these uh, episodes. So come and join us there with our with the great Emma Fife as our guest uh, for sure. So there you go. Thank you all again and, very much. And you got a uh, you got a good recommendation for us for uh, movie, TV, anything you want to uh, get all the kids watching. I'm I'm still processing Judas and the Black Messiah, which is one of the best films I've mm. seen in a very very long time. Uh, I, I think it's a spiritual ancestor to do the right thing. And so I'm I'm really n- navigating my feelings about that movie. I've watched it three times now since it dropped on HBO Max on Friday. It's just something that's what I can't recommend enough for people to watch. I like that. Navigating your feelings. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, you can go watch Alita Battle Angel right now in your preferred streaming service. Like we said, email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. And as far as this podcast goes, Jacqueline, what do we like people to do after they listen and enjoy the show? Yes, of course. Wherever you're listening to us first, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe, whether you're on whichever uh, podcast platform. But also email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Let us know how we're doing. Please give us movie recommendation selections. Let Lucy know that basically she's entered the quiet storm with that new Two Minutes with Tim segment and you want a different one. Or maybe you like (laughs) the quiet storm. I want a sex you up version of Two Minutes with Tim. I don't know. Let us know. We're here for you to hear what you have to say. And uh, I'm very excited to see what you guys think. That's right. And you can catch this podcast as a simulcast on Peacock as well. Yeah, that's right. We're on video. You can watch us talk about movies. And you might even get a cameo from Lucy's incredible sweet child, who I believe is all human. So look at what now. now, and, And right on cue, she's in the frame. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Lucy's daughter. Next week on RT is Wrong, we have a very special episode because we're talking about, we were talking about the sky people in this episode. Now we're going below. We're going subterranean for Underworld, the Kate Beckinsale classic that is werewolves and lichens. That might be the same thing. They're going up against vampires. A lot of blue. A lot of Instagram blue filter with Underworld, and I can't wait to disseminate it with Jacqueline Coley and our special guest. So for this week's special guest, John Roca, my esteemed co-host Jacqueline Coley, our hardworking engineer Christian Rubalcaba, Lucy Bruckner, and Lucy's sweet, sweet two to four-year-old. The ages always escape me. They grow up so fast. I am merely Mark Ellis. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and we'll see you next week or in the year 2562 that win eh, we'll, we'll see you soon look around you can find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait Auto Trader.